Morning, everybody. Aren't you glad you came this morning? If your answer is no, I hope that you know that we're glad that you came this morning. Um, so when I was a kid, my grandparents owned a small restaurant in our town. It was called Keating's Cozy Cottage. And uh, being the grandson of the owners gave me a certain position, and so I got to go in the back where the action was. And that was so cool for a six, seven, eight-year-old boy to be back with all of this outrageous equipment and so forth. And the staff were cool because the staff were all younger than my parents. So there's two kinds of adults. There's people who are your, your uh, parents' age, and then there are cool adults, and they're the younger ones, right? So these were all 20-somethings who worked in this restaurant. And uh, the head cook was a guy named Bill. And Bill was this big, strong, strapping guy. He was well over six feet tall. And uh, so he would, uh, when I was back there, he'd fool around with me, and I'd fool around with the other folks, the dishwashers and all that kind of stuff. I loved being back there. Well, one day, things got a little bit um, excited and a little, a little too much enthusiasm, I guess. And so whatever was going on, Bill just scooped me up ran me back to the back part of the kitchen where there was a walk-in freezer, which is about the size of a large walk-in closet. It had this big wooden door and so forth. And Bill, in this kind of enthusiastic, you know, teasing the kid thing, put me into the walk-in freezer, turned out the light, and closed this big wooden door. It was like you literally couldn't see. And I freaked out. Like, I started crying and screaming instantly in terror. And he left me in there for, I don't know, eight seconds. <laughs> Opened the door, because he heard this muffled screaming, and, uh, and I came out in just hysterical tears. Just then, Graham Keating came walking by and said, what's the matter? Now, Graham Keating's about... She's not five foot. She wishes she was five foot tall. She comes up and, what's wrong? Bill locked me in the freezer and he turned out the light and then he closed the door. She went ballistic. Here is this little Scotch woman to this six foot something, 20 something guy and she is reading him the, don't you ever do that again, you know. In that moment, this guy was now down here. She's towering over him. And it was, she undid him so much, I started feeling sorry for Bill. Right? I experienced in that moment what fierce love looks like. I mean, you hear about, you know, you don't, you don't touch the cubs when the mama is around, right? It's worse when grandma's around. So... Don't mess with grandma's cubs. Fierce love is what I saw. And when you have a fierce love, it overcomes fear. Like if, if this guy wanted to, you know, throw Graham Keating across the room, he could have done it in no time at all. But she didn't care. She was protecting her kid. Fierce love 
makes you unafraid. We're in a series right now where we're talking about this personal God that we have. This God who knows us individually, who cares for us personally, and who wants to be in a relationship with us in ways that make sense to us and wants us to be his representatives in the world. And so that's what we're looking at in this series. Last week, we talked about pathways, ways that are natural for you to connect with God. And so Marilyn brought the message, and she talked about how um, there are different, seven different pathways, things like the intellectual pathway or the worship pathway, the creation pathway, these different ways that we most naturally connect with God as individuals. And do you know what your pathway to connect with God is? This morning, I want to talk about our passions, that the God who created you also created you with a passion to be able to bring who you are in all of your uniqueness, your unique voice, your unique background, your unique history, your unique gifts and abilities and talents and so forth. God wants to take all that you are and use you to bless others for him. So that's what we're going to be looking at. In the New Testament... In the Greek, there are seven words that we translate in English, passion. And they're interesting words. They're descriptive words in many cases. So one of the words literally means to breathe heavy. You know, when you get excited about something, when something just kind of captures your imagination, your heart starts to beat a little bit faster and your breathing gets a little bit heavier. Another one of the words is to reach for something of value. The description of passion, to reach for something of value. Another of the Greek words literally translates fierce. And another one translates suffer. You see, when the Bible is talking about passion, that was good, keep applauding. When the Bible... <laughs> When the Bible talks about passion, it's not talking about the way that we sometimes in our culture talk about passion. We talk about passion about a hobby. You know, I'm passionate about golf or I'm passionate about photography or something. That's a different kind of passion. It's a different level. This is talking about a passion that makes, that takes your breath away, that makes you breathe heavier, that makes your heart race, that is something that you want to pursue with your life, something that you're willing to suffer for. So let me ask you a question this morning. What's your passion? What is your passion? Beyond your family, because we'll just assume that you have a passionate, fierce love for your family. Beyond your family... What has God wired into you as a passion? I want to explore that with you in the little bit of time that we have here this morning. For me, and I've shared this with you before, my passion is the local church. I believe that the local church, when it's functioning the way that God intends it to function, the local church 
is God's dream community. In other words, when the church is functioning in a uh, biblical way, when our community life reflects what God intends the church to be, it is unlike any other experience of community that you'll ever have. That when the church is functioning well, that we grow deeper in our understanding and love for God. We develop rich friendships that are meaningful and important to us. We discover things about ourselves, our gifts and our talents and so forth, and we find ways to employ them for God. When, when the church is functioning that way, there is nothing else like it in the world. And I long to see healthy churches, not just this church, but churches in our region especially, to be doing well. Interestingly, now those words... I, that I just talked about, I planned those a while ago, and I didn't realize that we were going to have some guests among us this morning. So we have some friends here this morning from uh, Temple Lutheran Church in Pensacon. And their church is, um, they're doing a, some work on that on their physical building right now. And so their pastor divided the congregation up into groups and sent them out to other churches to see how those other churches uh, function. And we're one of those churches. I don't know if he said, you know, we're going to send you some good ones and some bad ones. And, uh... But uh, so they're here this morning trying to see what other churches do and how they function and so forth um, because they want to get better at being the church in their location. And so, friends, uh, why don't you wave? Let us all know where you are. You were back there somewhere. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Now that I've outed you, we're all going to be very nice to them, right? <laughs> so that's my passion. Now, what happens when you have somebody who's passionate and you've been around these folks, right? When somebody is passionate, it's not about, you know, waving arms and, you know, uh, yelling and jumping up and down and so forth. Sometimes somebody with the deepest passion speaks in, in very soft kinds of ways, but you can't help but feel the passion. You see it in their eyes, and so when they're talking to you, they just draw you in, right? That's how passion works. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church in the 18th century, who was um, really the point leader of the Great Awakening of that time that swept through Europe and into the colonies, and there was a, a global revival that John Wesley ran point on. Here's something that John Wesley said that I, I love this. Wesley said, "'Light yourselves on fire with passion.'" And people will come from miles around to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire with passion. That's good stuff, right? When you do that, when you're on fire with passion, it doesn't, people don't just come around to watch you burn, it sets them on fire as well. And so they see your passion and they 
all of a sudden are ignited with their own passion that may be related or, or take them in a new direction, but passion ignites passion. And when you are passionate, you become fearless. Suddenly it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Suddenly it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing or what the culture says or any of that stuff. When you have a passion, that's it. And you become fearless. In the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we read about men and women of uh, history, throughout scriptural history, the patriarchs and the matriarchs of, of biblical history, starting with Abraham. And the 11th chapter of Hebrews talks about these passionate Lovers of God who in faith and passion followed God wherever God led them, often into really dangerous kinds of places or circumstances. And yet they trusted God and they followed God. And as you read down toward the end, it then begins to talk about people of that day, of the first century, Christians, Christ followers, and how those folks went into martyrdom. They were killed for their faith in Christ, but they would rather die than deny their faith in Christ. So it's this description of these great followers. And then the 12th chapter opens up, having talked about all of these uh, passionate followers of God. The 12th chapter, first three verses says this, and the words are going to be on the screen if you want to follow along. You see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all of these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get, get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God, where you will find yourselves, so when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long itinerary of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. That's good stuff, right? Wesley wants you to set yourself on fire. This guy's shooting adrenaline into your soul. Right? That's the nature of passion. It is life-giving. When you discover your passion, it's life-giving to you, and it's life-giving to those around you. And there are going to be times, friends, if you're, and you may be here this morning, you may have a passion, but you may be feeling discouraged. You may be feeling, you know, like life is just 
been so hard and so difficult and maybe people have disappointed you and so forth and your passion may be flagging. And this is just a reminder that God still has a purpose and a plan for you. Don't give up just because it gets hard. Go back and read the Gospels. Go back and read the story of Jesus and how he got through despite all of the abuse and rejection that he faced, the betrayal, because he had a vision that God had given him. So I want to talk about how do you know if your passion is a passion from God? How do you know if your passion comes from God? There are three things that define a God-inspired passion. The first is that it's not about you. A God-inspired passion is not about you. So often when we talk about a passion, it's something that is for me. You know, again, it's a hobby. It's something that I enjoy doing. It's, it's just for me. This is so much bigger than that. God wants to use you, but it's not about you. Jesus put it this way in describing his own understanding of this passion. In Matthew's gospel, the 20th chapter, verse 28, he wrote, uh, said this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come for himself, for his own glory, for his own honor. He came for you and for me. A God-inspired passion is for others. So in about a month, there's going to be 40 or more college students from around the country that are going to gather in Camden to serve out the summer working in summer camps throughout the city of Camden through Urban Promise, a ministry that is a part of... A, a, ministry that we support and, and, uh, and love, right? So these college students have been offered the opportunity and offered the challenge, and so for the whole year, they've been fundraising because not only do they get to live in the city of Camden, they get to pay for it, right? And they're going to be living in, within the city and working with kids, 800 kids or so, uh, throughout the summer. And... Uh, it's awesome, and here's what I know from lots of experience with these students who have done this over the last 20 years or so, that a bunch of those students, having had that experience, are going to discover their passion. Maybe it's going to be a passion for urban youth. Maybe it'll be a passion for uh, economic development within an urban area. Maybe it'll be a passion for uh, making a difference in the lives of uh, people who are, who are struggling. Whatever it will be, that through this experience, they're going to discover their God-given passion, and it's going to be fuel for their lives, for the rest of their lives. That's the nature of passion. Carson Wentz my new bromance, right? And I'm not ashamed. Carson Wentz um, is a football player. 
playing at the highest levels. But football is not his passion. It's his profession, and he gives it his best, and he performs again at high levels and so forth. He's an amazing athlete, but it's not his passion. His passion is to honor Christ in all that he does and to use this platform that God has given him to bring blessing to the lives of others. So right now what he's doing is he's using this platform to raise money to build three schools in Haiti. 20 years from now, when Carson Wentz's career in football is over, I am certain he's not going to be sitting in some mansion surrounded by trophies and talking about the good old days when he led the Philadelphia Eagles to five Super Bowl victories. Um, It's not going to be that. He's going to be living into this passion that he has. Football is a career, and it's a short-term career, and he knows that, but he's got a God-inspired passion. It's not about you. The second thing about a God-inspired passion is that it will require collaboration with others to achieve it. It's never yours alone. It will require others to collaborate with you when you have a God-inspired passion. And I can tell, you know, lots of stories about how this has worked here in our experience here, but just kind of because it's, it's current, I, I just tell a real quick story of what that looks like. You know, when you're on fire and you attract other people around you, this is how it works. So about... A dozen years ago, a young couple came to the church um, looking for a new church home. They were new to the area. They had a small child and another one on the way. And they came in and they, uh, they connected with the vision here and the passion that they felt here. The husband felt, you know, that his calling, his giftedness and so forth took him into the worship arts area and into adult education His name is Kevin Mandela. You may have heard him on guitar this morning, right? I mean, do you feel the passion when Kevin plays? Yeah, that's good stuff, right? But I don't want to talk about Kevin. Um, His wife, Heather, she has a passion for education. And so her passion took her into our children's ministry. And very quickly on, we asked her to come on to our staff. And her passion for kids, children's ministry, and so forth attracted others who also had that kind of passion. And together, that ministry began to flourish. And in the midst of that, after a couple of years, God called her to launch a preschool here. And before she could do that, she needed to make sure that there was somebody who was going to lead the children's ministry. And so somebody who was alongside her named Chris Graves stepped up. And she has a passion, not just for children's ministry, but for family ministry. And she took that ministry in a new kind of direction. While Heather went off and started the preschool. 
And after several years of the preschool being developed and bringing passionate teachers and, and others around her, that preschool became well-known in this area as one of the great preschools in our region. And so then Heather, we needed Heather to take on another role of developing our small group ministry, and so she moved in that direction. But before she could go, she needed somebody to follow her, and so another passionate leader who was in her orbit, Amanda, stepped into that role. Different gifts, different skills, but the same passion for children and to uh, teach children creatively about life and about God and so forth. Yesterday, we had over 230 children and preschool families gathered in the back for breakfast and to show off their artwork. 230 people. And it all started with one passionate person who lit herself on fire and others were drawn to it. When God gives you a passion, it's too big to do by yourself. You need other people to come around you in order to achieve it. One last one. If it's a God-inspired passion, it will require uh, love at the core. A God-inspired passion has all of the elements of agape love. A God-inspired passion has all of the elements of an agape love described in 1 Corinthians 13. You see, the thing about fire is when it is controlled, fire is a great source of energy. But when fire is out of control, it can do tremendous damage, right? The thing that controls, constricts, constrains, and, and makes our passion a good passion is the guardrails of a godly kind of love. Without that, passion can quickly create grotesque distortions of who God is and what God wants. But when we live within the boundaries of love, as described in 1 Corinthians 13, then passion has its greatest effect and power. So just real quickly, here's what 1 Corinthians says that love is. Love is patient. It is kind. It is truth-loving. It's enduring. It's hopeful, and it's strong. That's a godly kind of love. Here's what it is not. It's not jealous. It's not prideful. It's not rude. It's not boastful. It doesn't keep records of past wrongs. Love never fails. We may fail at love, but love never fails. And so, so those are some of the indicators of a godly passion. It's not about you. It's for the sake of others. It takes collaboration with others who will come along or for you to come alongside others who are expressing a passion that fits with who you are and working within those guardrails of agape kind of love. So this morning, if you're here and you, like I said, you're feeling a little discouraged, 
a little burned out, maybe a little toasty around the edges. You're wondering if you want to give up on your passion. I just want to encourage you to not give up. God is using you. And this passion that you're working in will be your legacy more than anything else that you'll ever do. If you're here this morning and you don't know what your passion is, you haven't quite figured it out, make that your goal this year to figure out what has God wired into you that is your passion. And just to help you along in that, we're, we're starting a small group um, tomorrow, actually, at 7, 7. Um, Marilyn is going to be leading it. She's sitting back there if you want to talk to Marilyn about it. She didn't ask me to do this commercial. I'm just, this is a freebie. Um, but it's a great, great five-week study on our pathways, our passions, and our gifts and how God has uniquely wired them into you. It's a kind of a discussion-oriented group, um, and people you know, who, who've gone through this often discover great things that they didn't necessarily ever identify about themselves before. So uh, if you're available, I'd, I'd encourage you to come out uh, for that tomorrow to help you to identify what your gift is. All right, let's stand together and close. And it's men and women. Anything else, honey? <laughs> Would you pray with me? God, we are so blown away that you love us so much that you sent Christ to show us the way, to teach us the truth, and to give us life, a new life, an abundant life, and the promise of an eternal life. We are so grateful for that. And Lord, we are amazed that you want to use us to do kingdom business in the world in which we live in ways that make sense for who we are. And so help us, Lord, to discover our passion and how we might burn for you and bless others. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people agreed and said, hey, have a great week.